Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, He's in conversation with the Right Reverend Phoebe A. Rofe, Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. We're thrilled to welcome to this conversation today the Right Reverend Phoebe A. Rofe. She's a lifelong Episcopalian and the Bishop of the Diocese of West Tennessee. Thank you, Bishop Rolfe, for sharing in conversation with us today. It is wonderful to be with you and to um, hopefully this will be a great conversation where we'll both learn a little bit more about what it means to thrive and flourish in ministry. Wonderful. Well, uh, for a little over a couple of years, uh, we've been a part of a journey that we call pilgrimages of striving and thriving. Mm -hmm. And we've had more than 50 pastors working on the idea of flourishing in ministry. So we've pretty much rejected the idea that you can just drag and drop something that someone else is doing somewhere else if to yep. flourish in ministry. And uh, one idea of our framing our conversation is to say that flourishing ministry can be understood similar to a tree where mm -hmm. sometimes there are leaves, sometimes there are blossoms. Sometimes the leaves are falling away, and sometimes there are no leaves. There's only branches left, mm -hmm. but still that tree can be healthy and thriving. Mm -hmm. So while that's one way to imagine flourishing, can you describe for us uh, a way you think about flourishing or what flourishing in ministry might look like to you? Yeah, it's a great concept. What does it mean to flourish? Uh, and I think my my older middle-aged self probably has a different answer than what my younger self would have had, Dr. Goatley. I think my younger self would have probably envisioned a situation where everything was just going smoothly, running on all cylinders, no bumps, uh, no hurdles. Um, but now in this phase of, of my vocation in my life, um, I think flourishing is making the most 
um, and doing God's will, regardless of the external circumstances that you may find yourself in, and to not be surprised that there will be bumps in the road. That's just an inevitable part of life. Uh, we love the beautiful rosebud, right? And sometimes we, when we're holding a rose uh, and we get pricked by that thorn, we're not surprised because we expect it, but then in our lives, when we hit the thorns of life, um, we can be a little surprised. So not to be surprised or deterred or to think that you're doing something wrong when obstacles appear, because sometimes if you're doing the Lord's work, if we're doing as um, uh, the former uh, representative John Lewis, uh, may his soul rest in peace, said, if we're getting into good trouble, then the water is going to get stirred. And that could be precisely why the Lord has put you in that position to stir that pot a little bit. So um, I guess I would say, uh, in summary, that maybe some of the stuff that I learned from family systems classes when I was in seminary to be that non-anxious presence, regardless of the circumstances of your context, is part of what it means to thrive in ministry. We've been talking and thinking about something we call a formula for flourishing. Mm -hmm. And uh, roughly it holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus the service context mm -hmm. yields ministry content, mm -hmm. there's a higher probability for flourishing. Because mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier, we do not assume that every round goes higher and higher. Correct. Uh, but that there's a there's a intertextuality between mm -hmm. capacity and context and content. Yes. Can you talk to us some mm -hmm. about how context of mm -hmm. service mm -hmm. has informed your content of ministry? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So much of life is contextual. Um, so I have served as an Episcopal priest and now Bishop in historically black, Episcopal congregations and predominantly white Episcopal congregations. And I find myself now as the bishop of a diocese that is, you know, probably 90 plus percent white. Um, so yes, context is so important. The sorts of, of words that I might use to describe something when I was serving a historically black congregation in Richmond, Virginia, um, I have to choose my words much more carefully now that I am a, in a predominantly white context because culturally there's just a different understanding of things, right? And so there's a lot more explaining that I have to do in a white context than I do when I'm around mostly people of color. Um, and I can't make as many assumptions or take as many shortcuts. It really requires a lot more intentionality. You talked about uh, intentionality, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm I'd like you to say a word about intentionality 
in relationship to authenticity because mm. you talked about having to use discernment in, yes. in in language and assumptions people have different perspectives about yeah. intentionality in language and authenticity in language what do you think about that uh, i am an african american woman in in a in a role in a chair that has historically been reserved for white men um, and that's a whole nother right that's a whole nother podcast in and of itself um, but yes one of the main strengths i believe not just of ordained folk but of all of us in leadership is our authenticity and that just comes from the bible right uh, let your yes be yes and your no be no so I wanna be clear that even when I am having to parse my words, as it were, I'm still authentically Phoebe. Because at the end of the day, it's about relationship. And if people feel that I'm putting on a front or pretending to be something that I'm not, there's less of a chance of us really developing true relationship. In fact, I would all even say authentic relationship, right? You can't have an authentic relationship if you're not being authentically who you are. And as I look back uh, on my journey, uh, so many times I have only seen the Lord's hand in hindsight, right? In retrospective. And when I'm in the middle of it, I don't really know, Lord, why am I here? Why are you placing me in this position? Why have you given me these experiences? When I go back and look, over the course of my life, the Lord has prepared me for this call because of my past educational and professional experiences way before ordination. You see, I went to seminary in my 40s. This was actually a third career for me. I spent a number of years working as a public policy analyst uh, with government and nonprofit organizations. And then I went to law school and I was a practicing attorney when I began the discernment process in the diocese of Louisiana when I was living in New Orleans in the uh, mid to late 1990s. Um, so I had done a whole lot of other things before I went to seminary. And it was all of those experiences that the Lord has um, utilized in my current role. So nothing is ever wasted in God's economy. And what I thought was, you know, I was on plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. I was all around the bend, right? As you said earlier, it's not linear. My journey has been very circular. And um, just sort of as an aside, one of my favorite uh, biblical uh, characters is Jonah because I had my own ideas and the Lord told me probably 15 years before I was ordained, Phoebe, I wanna send you to Nineveh. And like Jonah, I said, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going the opposite direction. <laughs> so it took me 15 years to even hear God's calling or accept God's calling. I shouldn't say hear it because other folks had been telling me to accept God's calling on my life as an ordained person. But yeah, I've, I have functioned in a lot of different contexts so that um, even when I have to be intentional about my words, I am authentically Phoebe, whether you see me with purple on and a collar uh, or on a Sunday or whether you run into me in the grocery store, uh, you know, on a weeknight and I've got on jeans and a Memphis Grizzlies hoodie and sweat 
cap and, and that's it. You know, what you see is kind of what you get. I really appreciate your talking about that you are authentically Phoebe, that's whether right. you're in your clerical garb uh, or whether you're in your late night uh, shopping garb. <laughs> <laughs> You've and talked about, about Jesus. Think about Jesus. I mean, the master communicator. Would anybody question that Jesus's use of those examples in parables was happenstance? It wasn't. Jesus was intentional about the examples that he chose because he wanted things that everyday folk could relate to. That's why he talked about, you know, planting and fishing and watering. He talked about things that we all understood. That wasn't by happenstance. A word to our listeners. Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously-led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcarry.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed. Welcome back to the Lot Carey Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carey's Thriving in Ministry Program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now, back to more of his interview with the Right Reverend Phoebe A. Rofe, Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. Can you say a word about capacity? Um, how does capacity inform one's content of ministry? Mm. Yeah, so I, I'm an oldest child. I'm a very type A personality. And I think early in my life, certainly my first two vocations, it was very much about me wanting to get the tools in my toolkit in advance that would allow me to thrive, to succeed, to flourish. So with public policy and law, it was very much I saw myself as uh, getting those tools, equipping myself to be proficient. And one of the big stumbling blocks for me as I perceived uh, this call to ordination 
was that I was well aware, Dr. Goatley, that I lacked many tools in my toolkit to be a good pastor. You know, I'm blessed to have had a wonderful relationship with both uh, the Episcopal priests uh, from my mother's tradition and the Baptist uh, pastors from my father's missionary Baptist church tradition. And I was raised in, in both churches as my role models. So I was well aware of what it took to be an effective pastor. And I couldn't see how I was going to bridge that gap. And I, I entered the discernment process even thinking that I had to somehow get the tools, the skills up front. And it's been very much um, me relinquishing that former model and trusting that if I made myself available and open, that the Lord would give me what I needed when I needed it but that I was not going to be able to rely upon my own resources in the same way that I had, certainly as an attorney. And so that speaks to me of the capacity uh, to be humble, uh, to acknowledge what my strengths are and what I'm lacking, and to be able to say, I don't have the answers to every question. I don't know it all. Uh, there's a great deal that I still have to learn. So be willing to uh, accept feedback from others. I am a lifelong learner. And I would say um, emotional intelligence or self-awareness is another aspect of capacity that I have really been working on probably with a lot of intentionality since 2014. So maybe the past seven years now. And I don't think I would be where I am today uh, if I had not had uh, the benefit of a couple of great spiritual directors and great therapists so that I am working through my own stuff. Uh, you know, I can go zero to 60 like the best of them. It's not pretty, right? <laughs> but when I'm really understanding what triggers me and how my buttons get pushed, then I don't have to go zero to 60. Then I really can stand within myself as I'm hearing difficult things about decisions that I've made or things that I've chosen. And I can accept that not in the posture of defensiveness or anger, but to really be fully present and to say, you know, Lord, what do I need to learn from this interaction, right? There is something that I can take from this. A lack of emotional intelligence uh, trips up a lot of mm -hmm. pastoral leaders. And can you talk to us just a little more about your understanding of emotional intelligence and how you have gone about growing in that aspect mm -hmm. as a leader? Yeah, as I understand emotional intelligence, um, it is for the individual to be aware of the state of their emotional health and uh, the forces externally and internally that influence it. And when you know, then you can do differently or you can do better. And so um, emotional intelligence at least for me, is not something that I can improve upon by myself, right? No man is an island unto 
himself, no woman is an island unto herself. So it has been through having trusted guides where I have uh, unpacked or processed different interactions. Uh, so either, as I said, with a spiritual director or a therapist to explain a, a scenario. You know, this is what she said. This is this was my response. And then to have that person sort of ask me questions. And that way we can figure out, was Phoebe's response appropriate given what uh, she was encountering in that instance? Or was that response an overreaction? And if it was an overreaction, why was it an overreaction? Was it an overreaction because there's a long buried um, memory of something similar, painful, forgotten, that that particular interaction triggered? Or is it that um, Phoebe has not been honest with herself about the anger or the frustration she has felt about a number of other things? And this was sort of that proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, right? I'm upset about a whole lot of other stuff. I haven't dealt with it. I haven't processed it. And then you come to me with something relatively minor. And in that instant, I'm just gonna like emotionally throw up, right? All over you. And it really doesn't have anything to do with you. It's because I have not been tending to myself. So I think I'm doing less of that emotional regurgitation now than I used to. Thanks be to God. <laughs> that was uh, that was quite a vivid uh, uh, use of language there. I'm going to remember that one uh, for a while. Uh, you you've had to negotiate. I'm assuming some things, but can you say a mm -hmm. word about flourishing mm -hmm. as a woman in a system? Mm -hmm. that historically has been shaped by and dominated by men? Yeah, and in, and in my particular denomination, white men. So again, growing up as a girl in Arkansas, I didn't really see a lot of people who were, looked like me, who were ordained, and um, neither tradition uh, was really doing ordaining of women in the early 1970s, the Episcopal Church or the Missionary Baptist Church. And so not seeing anybody who looked like me behind the altar, it never even occurred to me, right, that I could be ordained. And so as I began to think about and pray about whether this was God's calling of my life years later, I mean, I figured, um, and this was something, maybe some advice that, that wonderful mentors gave me, that if God was calling me to it, then God was calling me as I am, right? That I, I didn't need to necessarily change that my particular lenses, right? My approach to life, the way I see the world would be an important part of the conversation to have. So if I was gonna do it, to do it and to just be me. And it was never my goal to be a bishop. <laughs> I've just been authentically me. And so when it came time that some folks began reaching out to me to say, we think you have the skills and the gifts to be a bishop. Um, that was the whole nother prayer, uh, period of prayer and discernment and talking with folks that I'm close to, to find out why, you know, why, why are you saying this? Is this something that you're saying to a lot of people or 
what is it about me that makes you think this is something that I might uh, be able to do? What gifts could I bring to the church that would be different? And um, what really convinced me to do it was when Bishop Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs won the election in the Diocese of Indianapolis, uh, maybe four years ago now, she was the first black woman to be a diocesan bishop. And, you know, at one, at, at one, from one perspective, bishops are bishops. Uh, but from a diff, from another perspective, when you're in the number two chair as a bishop suffragan or an assisting bishop, that is different than being in the number one chair as a diocesan bishop. So if Jennifer had not won that election, I never would have even um, put my name in the hat for any bishop's election because I would have thought it was an exercise in, in futility. Um, so I just think that the reason that I won this election in the Diocese of West Tennessee, uh, in headquartered in the city where Dr. King uh, was assassinated April 4th of 1968 is nothing but the Lord. Uh, I, I'm not really sure why the Lord has brought me here, but I do believe that this is God's uh, plan for my life. And um, again, relinquishing the, the need to want to understand the full ramifications of that in advance, but to just say, let me just be faithful and go and be open and vulnerable um, and figure out what it means to be a leader. So even though I am a black woman, you know, I walk into the room now with real power and authority. And I have to figure out what does that look like for me? How am I going to wield that power and that authority in ways that may be similar to my predecessors, all of whom are white men, or that may look different from my predecessors? And then being comfortable with um, the pushback that I have gotten and I will get uh, for living into that role in a different way. And let me say that I think um, the majority of, of my folks are very happy that I am, um, you know, very honest about the fact that I don't have all the answers and that I am collaborative and I am looking to make room at the table and I'm going to ask hard questions and I want us to get real. Uh, the vast majority of folks are really happy with that. And some folks are uncomfortable with that, right? And some folks who were excited about my election in theory, um, when I walk into that space as an African-American woman, and you know, I'm 5'10", I'm not a small person, right? I'm a, I'm a large physical presence for me to be in that room with the miter and the crozier and the ring and the pectoral cross. I think for some of them, it can evoke things even that they did not anticipate in advance. So all of us are learning and adjusting to this new normal. What brings you the most joy mm. as a pastoral leader? Oh, it is such a privilege and a blessing. You know, oftentimes when uh, a baby is born and the family calls me, I'm the only person who's not biologically related in that room to give blessings to the baby. And the reverse is true. Oftentimes when someone is dying in the process of dying, I am the only person in the room who is not biologically related uh, administering last rites. And it, it is a privilege if you have never uh, stood with someone as they have taken their last breath. It's a very holy 
sacred space. The, the line is very thin between this world and the next. So absolutely, it's, it's that um, pastoral presence that drew me to this ministry. Uh, in my current role, though, I am having to see my administrative gifts uh, as something that is also uh, needed and necessary. So, so much of what I do now is administrative. And so I'm, I'm leaning into um, being thankful for administrative opportunities as well as the pastoral ones. What is the best advice that you have received mm-hmm. about pastoral leadership? Two parts. One is to be myself. That if the people elected me and God has given me a particular set of gifts and worldview, the last thing that I need to do is to try to be somebody other than who I am and to trust in my instincts. Um, The other thing that I have been told, and it is very true, is that in my current role, uh, I need to view it as a marathon and not a sprint that when you are working either with a very old institution or a large institution, if you're talking about an entire diocese, that is kind of like an ocean liner (laughs) and turning that thing is just, it takes a lot. It is not a speedboat. I'm not on a water ski. I can't flip around in the air and all of that sort of stuff. So I have to really take the, you know, really 10, 15, 20-year perspective, as opposed to the three-year, five-year, seven-year perspective that I had pastoring a congregation, that large, old systems don't change overnight, and maybe that's a good thing, right? But that, uh, again, about that emotional intelligence not to get frustrated when you don't see things in year one, year two, year three, year five, like you're still laying that groundwork. So, Uh, To be myself and to take the long view are two great pieces of advice that I have received. We have uh, aspiring clergy and we have practicing clergy uh, throughout the country and around the world who listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, what advice would you like to offer? Wow. Well, for those of you who are already in it, you know, thank you, because this is um, both the most uh, life-affirming, rewarding thing I've ever done and the most difficult thing I've ever done. Um, So the fact that you're called to something that you love um, does not mean that it's not going to come with its share of really difficult days. Uh, For those who are aspiring If you can do anything else and be happy, (laughs) you might want to consider doing anything else. You know, these $20 white plastic collars are such projection screens, right? I mean, just, you know, people get beat up in life and when they feel uncertain about things, they think that they can come to church and do whatever, some of them, and you got to love them anyway. Uh, And so, yeah, they're going to project onto you. Uh, And I have found that when you wear purple, they project a lot more than when you wear black. (laughs) But I would just say the best piece of advice that someone gave me, and and they were absolutely right, is you have to love the people. If you can't love the people that you are privileged to serve, um, in spite of all of their little foibles and flaws, 
then it, this may not be the right vocation for you. And and I, I'm so thankful that people love me in spite of all of my foibles and flaws, that that's what I, I try to do with them and to think about uh, the privilege, the great privilege and blessing that it is to serve God in this capacity. Thanks be to God that folks are still choosing to labor in this particular vineyard. The Right Reverend Phoebe A. Rolfe. She is the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. Thank you, Bishop, for the generosity of your time and sharing your wisdom with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Mm-hmm.